Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 17 of the podcast, History Does You. Today, we'll be talking about the French and Spanish role in the Revolutionary War, and we had an interview with Pulitzer Prize finalist, Dr. Larry Ferraro. But before we get to that today, as always, feel free to follow us or subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to keep up with upcoming episodes or on uh, social media at History Does You on Instagram or Facebook. Now, we'll get right into it, and... This is actually an interesting episode because the way that the American Revolution has been constructed is sort of been this heroic single effort by the 13 colonies to fight the most powerful nation in the country. And in reality, that's not necessarily what happened. Uh, I think with uh, Dr. Farrow's book, along with uh, new historical accounts that are continuing to go on and kind of rediscover that, is the fact that the American Revolution was sort of a byproduct of a much larger conflict between the French and Spanish and the British. So this is more of a global conflict than it's perceived to be. And the French and Spanish role is critical because of the way that they're able to supply us with munitions, with money, with supplies. And the French had always been looking to sort of get back at the British after the Seven Years' War. That's an important conflict. Um, The French weren't necessarily looking to regain a lot of the territory that they had lost, but they were really looking to reassert themselves as the dominant power in the European continent. And in terms of the Spanish, uh, they had lost several islands in the Caribbean um, and in Florida. So they were both looking to retake their their colonies there in particular. So uh, I don't want to talk too much. We'll get right into the interview. It's a bit of a shorter interview, uh, but I definitely wanted to kind of cover this um, because I think it's an interesting aspect of American history that often gets overlooked. So I hope you enjoy this interview. So on today's podcast, we're lucky to welcome on Dr. Larry Ferrero, who is Professor of History and Engineering at George Mason University. He received his PhD in History, Science and Technology from the Imperial College in London. His work includes Measure of the Earth, the Enlightenment Expedition that Reshaped Our World, which was a Physics World Top 10 Books of 2011, and Brothers at Arms, American Independence and the Men of France and Spain Who Saved It, which was a Pulitzer Prize finalist in history in 2017. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. And just to start off with some broader questions, uh, what is your favorite part of history and research uh, to talk about? Why is it your favorite? And how did you become interested in uh, the French and Spanish effort in the Revolutionary War? Well, I'm an engineer, um, and specifically, I'm a naval architect by background. Uh, I used to design warships for the U.S. Navy, but I also worked on warship design inside the French and British navies. Uh, I did my PhD in, as you said, History of Science and Technology at Imperial College London, and my subject was on shipbuilding during the Age of Sail. Well, during my research, I learned that after the uh, defeat of France and Spain during the Seven Years' War, um, the two nations uh, began to share shipbuilders and artillery engineers in order to create a unified navy, a unified French-Spanish navy with the goal of exacting revenge against the British. And ultimately, it was this unified navy that was able to overcome the vaunted Royal Navy 
and that was critical to the overall American victory in the War of American Independence. So when I saw that my children's school textbooks had barely mentioned the French participation in the American Revolution and mentioned Spain not at all, I began wondering why there was such a disconnect. And even when I looked into it, the more modern scholarly works barely mentioned how closely um, France and Spain were united during the fight, or even mentioning how much America relied on their aid to win. And to follow up, what are some of the challenges that you have encountered while researching history? Um, I told my agent uh, after she'd asked me what, what my next book was, and uh, most authors will know that story, um, that I thought that there was this um, additional history that had been overlooked for the uh, War of American Independence. It was an old, told, untold story. And after she asked for more information, I told her to wait a little bit, and uh, I spent the next couple of years dragging my family to battlefields and encampments of the Revolutionary War up and down the East Coast of the United States, and I uh, also poured through archives in um, the United States and Europe. I was also able to draw on the knowledge of a number of historians in the United States, France, Spain, and other countries as well to fill in the blanks. And altogether, that really uh, put uh, on uh, canvas a very compelling uh, story arc. Probably the hardest part or the greatest challenge is, uh, was to put together that story in a way that made sense both chronologically and geographically, because this was a world war. The conflict was fought across many theaters of war simultaneously all around the globe. And to kind of get into the Revolutionary War, uh, my first question is, how had the Seven Years' War uh, affected France and Spain? Well, the War of American Independence actually sprang directly from the Seven Years' War. Now, we called it the French and Indian War because at the time, this was 1754 to 1763, we were British colonists and the adversaries were the French and their native um, American allies. Well, the Seven Years' War actually began in the United States. It began in the Ohio Valley in 1754 as a series of skirmishes between the French and British forces. Um, George Washington, um, as a young officer, played an integral role in that. What started as a um, minor regional conflict in the Ohio Valley had become, within two years, a continental and indeed um, uh, European and global war. The uh, fighting took place all around the world between uh, France, Britain, Spain, and a number of other countries. Um, the turning point in this Seven Years' War uh, was in 1759 when Britain began a stunning series of victories on sea, at sea and on land. And eventually they decimated the French and Spanish forces in both. By the time the treaty of um, uh, the treaty that uh, signaled peace between all of the warring sides was signed, the British victory was complete. Um, Britain ruled the waves. Britannia ruled the waves. France lost Canada, Spain lost Florida, and they lost a lot more besides. 
And by the time that the revolution was getting started, what was really happening in France and Spain at the time? Well, they wanted revenge against Britain. The two nations, France and Spain, did not want to take this uh, defeat of the Seven Years' War simply standing back and letting uh, Britain uh, continue to rule around the globe without a, uh, a response. They wanted revenge, and the Americans knew that they wanted revenge. Now, the reason why it was France and Spain together is that they were already closely allied by family and military ties. Um, that was called the Bourbon Family Compact because both the uh, kings, the King Carlos III of Spain and Louis XVI of France were cousins. Uh, and they referred to each other as brother or cousin or uncle in their correspondence because both were directly descended from the um, Sun King, the French King Louis XIV. Now, even though they were alive, they wanted very different um, things from this revenge. France wanted to dethrone Britain and regain its position as the dominant power in Europe. That was always its goal. Spain had very concrete um, goals. It wanted to drive British, the British from the Gulf of Mexico, and they wanted to regain Gibraltar, which they'd actually lost uh, 70 years earlier, well before the Seven Years' War. And Gibraltar was always at the front of Spain's um, uh, war aims. Now, both France and Spain um, had been using spies to keep tabs on America because they thought that it would make um, uh, a good strategic effort to keep Britain's um, colonists, um, or rather to, to use the potential uprising of the American colonists against their British masters as a way of uh, keeping the uh, British on their heels and using that to weaken the British as they uh, enacted revenge. In other words, they had every intention of using a future American uprising um, as a uh, war tool to uh, eventually gain that revenge against Britain. And they knew this because uh, they'd been sending spies and observers. And one of the observers who reported back to um, the French foreign minister um, gave him enough confidence to tell uh, his king uh, only the future American Revolution will consign England to a state of weak weakness. Now, he said that in the year 1767, eight years before we actually began to uh, rebel, he knew before we did that we were going to be at war with the British. So that meant that when that War of American Revolution came, the French and the Spanish knew they could use it to their own ends to defeat the British and to regain their power and territory. And how quickly did this newly declared United States seek foreign help in fighting the British? If the French and the Spanish knew that they could use the Americans in helping them defeat Britain, the Americans knew that we needed the French and Spanish to help us in the defeat. Each side knew and wanted to use the other one solely to its ends. And we knew that even before the fighting broke out. We were asking foreign assistance um, in 1774, a year before the fighting broke out with Britain and two years before we declared independence. 
in that year, there were New England merchants who were sending uh, requests overseas to their Spanish business partners um, asking for smuggled guns, munitions, and gunpowder. In that same year, 1774, Arthur Lee, who was one of the colonial representatives in London alongside Benjamin Franklin, Arthur Lee was also, by the way, the brother of Richard Henry Lee, who was the one proposing the Declaration of Independence in the first place. Arthur Lee wrote um, the following, America may owe her salvation to European powers, now he meant France and Spain, if that contest with Britain should be serious and lasting. So the Americans, when they went to war with Britain, they knew that, as Alexander Hamilton said much later, if we are to be saved, France and Spain must save us. And who were some of the key people who made the French and Spanish effort to support the United States happen, and what were their motivations? The important thing to remember is that France and Spain, although they helped the Americans in their war against Britain, were always acting in their own national interest. It was always France first for the French, Spain first for the Spanish. Now, that's true of any nation. It doesn't go to war unless there's a direct national interest, even if it's doing so alongside an ally. But Americans sometimes lose sight of the fact that these other nations were acting their, in their own self-interest when they consider the revolution. Well, the French interest, self-interest, was to, as I mentioned, tilt the balance of power in Europe away from Britain and back in France's favor. That's, that's where they believe they had their rightful place. They didn't want land. That's not what they were fighting for. And they did not want to regain Canada. Um, the French king, Louis XVI, was still fairly young. And he depended upon his foreign minister, the Comte de Vergennes, who, by the way, was the single most important person in this whole story um, to develop the strategy. And it was the Comte de Vergennes who made almost all the key decisions concerning the alliances during the war. He really was the driver behind the decisions to initially send um, arms and munitions to America. He was the key driver in the uh, alliance with Spain against Britain. And he was the key decider in sending the French Navy and the army to help the United States directly. Now, the Spanish had a different interest. As I mentioned, they wanted to regain territory that had been lost to Britain. Most importantly, Gibraltar, but they also wanted to regain Florida and Menorca in the Mediterranean. Now, in Spain, King Carlos III um, was guided by his chief minister, the Conde de Florida Blanca, who was more or less the Comte de Vergennes' counterpart. And the two of them together actually worked together to develop the Spanish strategy. Um, both Florida Blanca in Spain and Vergennes in France knew that those two nations um, would have to work together to um, defeat the British at sea. They would have to be in a naval alliance because when all was said and done, Britain was mostly concerned about its overseas empire. It was concerned about losing America, but the overseas empire was far more important. And because it was the British Navy, not the British Army, that was the greatest concern, they knew that it was on the ocean that the war with Britain would be either won or lost. And how long did it take for the French and Spanish to send troops, supplies, and money to the United States? 
Well, as I mentioned before, Spain was sending weapons as early as 1774, and France began supplying arms pretty soon afterwards. Um, the Dutch Republic was also, by the way, a major supplier of arms uh, through its colonies in the Caribbean. Um, in 1776, as the Americans were thinking about their uh, declaration of independence, the French and Spanish governments were, all, were already funding a series of covert operations using uh, merchants like the Spanish Diego de Gardoqui and in France, Pierre Caron de Beaumarchais to funnel arms to the Americas. Now, in fact, these were arms provided by the governments, but the Spanish and the French were using merchants to hide the source of um, those supplies from the British. The British, of course, weren't fooled, but it certainly um, avoided the need to go to war before anybody was really ready to go to war. Um, the most important shipments which were sent by Beaumarchais arrived in uh, April of 1777. There were about 20,000 muskets, um, over 100 cannon powder, and this was uh, sorely needed by the Americans who were bereft of arms. They did not have any manufacturing capability of their own for any of this equipment, muskets, powder, or cannon. So when these arms arrived in New York and New England, um, it was just in time to equip uh, 15,000 troops that were converging on the Battle of Saratoga. And the Battle of Saratoga was the first major victory that the Americans were able to um, uh, enact over the British and rock them back on their heels. They actually captured um, the army of General Burgoyne. Well, it was only with these arms that the Americans were able to um, defeat the British because without them, and the Americans actually admitted this, the British would have made an easy march from Canada to Albany and then further south and then cut the entire Continental Army completely in two. Um, by the way, the Spanish and French and other weapons, Dutch Republic and a few uh, the, and, and other nations um, uh, ultimately sent something like 90% of all the guns that the Americans used during the war. They were imported. And uh, the French and the Spanish ultimately provided about $30 billion equivalent, billion with a B, equivalent in aid to the Americans. And to kind of get into some of the specific theaters in the war, uh, to start off, what was going on in the Caribbean when the French and Spanish first got into the war, and why were they so focused on neutralizing British power in that region in particular? The Caribbean was the most important part, uh, part of uh, European uh, colonial economies in that era. The European powers like Britain, France, um, but also Denmark and the Dutch Republic um, derived a considerable part of their income from plantations in the Caribbean. Uh, sugar mostly, but they were also growing rice and indigo. Now, Spain had a great interest in the Caribbean because its major ports like Havana in Cuba and San Juan in Puerto Rico were the uh, way stations for their silver trade, bringing um, silver from Mexico and Peru. And it was also where their navies were, um, uh, had their um, repair and re resupply facilities. So the Caribbean was critical and whoever controlled the Caribbean controlled colonial trade because again, that's where the money was. Now, by contrast, 
the United States was a relatively small source of income and uh, wealth for uh, Britain's economic um, might. So this is why when France and Spain went to war against Britain, their primary strategic goal was to neutralize Britain's presence in the Caribbean. And once French soldiers got to the United States, was there a quick cooperation or did it take time for the Continental Army and the French Army to work together? The French sent the, um, the soldiers, not the volunteers like uh, Lafayette and a few others, but a, an actual um, army um, in 1780. Uh, Vergen put it together and called it the Special Expedition, Expedition Particulière. There were about 5,000 troops total under the command of the Comte de Rochambeau sent to serve directly alongside George Washington. Um, they arrived in Newport, Rhode Island in July of 1780. And when they arrived, the residents of the city were very afraid of the French because keep in mind, it was only a decade earlier that the French had been um, the enemy of the colonists during the Seven Years' War. Remember, we called it the French and Indian War. Um, so Rochambeau ordered his troops to be camped well away from the Americans and not to interact with the, Amer interact with the Americans because he was very worried about fights breaking out between the soldiers. But among the officers of the French and the American armies, there was genuine respect and camaraderie. Each side um, uh, tried to learn the other's uh, customs and language. Um, George Washington did not learn uh, French, but Rochambeau did learn English, and each one of them had aides who could speak both languages. That was the mark of a well-educated officer. So they got on quite well together at the, um, at the top end, and that meant that when the order to go to Yorktown was given in the summer of 1787, the two armies were able to coordinate and march side by side. And when they were Eight, uh, and when they arrived at the battlefield at Yorktown, they were able to fight side by side. So it wasn't quite like NATO today, where you have German and French and American and Dutch uh, and British forces. They're all organized into single brigades and well, um, well integrated. Um, not quite like that, but it was fairly well um, integrated at the uh, coordination level and a pretty good example of what coalition warfare could look like for that era. And do you think Yorktown was the culmination of the American-French effort to cooperate on strategy and win an important victory? Um, yeah, yes, Yorktown was certainly the um, end of the major fighting in North America, but the war continued to carry on for two more years before the peace was finalized. Um, France and Spain were cooperating, but there was very little additional French and American cooperation beyond that, because most of the major fighting in North America was done. However, in terms of um, American cooperation, there was a very interesting development on the Spanish side. Um, there was a young diplomat named Louis Littlepage who'd gone over um, to uh, learn the art of diplomacy and he ended up serving in the Spanish forces um, and uh, as an aide-de-camp to the Spanish general in charge of Spain's conquest of Menorca and a little bit later, the assault on Gibraltar. So Little Page 
as an aide-de-camp, saw battle in each theater. By all accounts, um, he acquitted himself quite bravely in both. And this is the only case that I'm aware of where an American um, served under a foreign flag during the War of American Independence. We had French officers, um, volunteers, serving under the American flag. We've had we actually had uh, one or t uh, one Spanish volunteer in particular serving under the um, American flag as well. But in terms of an American cooperating and serving under foreign flags, uh, either uh, uh, either side, this is the only case that I'm aware of. And in the aftermath of the war, did the French and Spanish help the United States negotiate a peace treaty with the British? Well, while the fighting was still going on around the world, in other words, after Yorktown, but um, still battles fought, being fought um, in the Caribbean and as far away as India, which in which the kingdom of Mysore, um, a, uh, a kingdom on the Indian subcontinent, was fighting with uh, alongside the French against the British. Um, there was fighting going on, and the American commissioners in Paris um, were negotiating with the British. They were um, the Americans were led by Benjamin Franklin uh, to uh, obtain a peace which recognized American independence. Now, that negotiation between the Americans and the British was actually conducted in parallel um, with the French and the Spanish, um, primarily led by Vergennes, conducting their own peace negotiations with Britain. So even though these were two parallel negotiations, the French with the British and the Americans with the British, Franklin and Vergennes continued to communicate regularly, but even though they communicated, neither side helped the other side. So. Um, in January 1783, the preliminary peace treaties were signed, again, on both sides, the Americans and British and the French slash Spanish and the British, because they were conducted in parallel. But um, regrettably, the world word of these treaties had not gotten to many of the far-flung battles until many months later. And in fact, what's little known to most Americans is that the last major battle of the more War of American Independence was fought in Cuddalore, India, in July of 1783. Um, and that was between the French, um, the Kingdom of Mysore, and Britain. Uh, and that was um, when the word of the peace finally arrived. And just to ask some concluding questions, did the Revolutionary War lead to social, economic, or political change for Spain or France? The United States came out as the unquestioned victor in the war. Um, it gained recognition by Britain um, for its independence. That independence was therefore fixed in stone. And by the way, they uh, also were able to receive many land concessions from Britain because Britain's focus had already begun to shift um, far to the east. It was already thinking about India as its next um, great colonial empire even though the Caribbean was critical, um, in the years to come, Britain's empire would uh, cease to be primarily North American and uh, instead be primarily on the Indian subcontinent and in Asia. Now, Spain um, recovered Florida. Um, they got almost every other territory that they wanted, except for Gibraltar. 
and Spain emerged as a major power on the world stage. So Spain and Britain also got more or less what they wanted. France did not get any territory. That's not what they wanted. But they did achieve their goal of becoming the unquestioned center of power in Europe. So every nation fighting ultimately got what it was looking for in the war. America got its independence recognized. Britain um, retained its overseas empire and, in fact, expanded it. Spain got its territory, and France was the um, center of European power once again. That was in 1783. By 1789, all that became unraveled because the French Revolution and the subsequent Napoleonic Wars um, really shredded the old order of all of that, and it laid waste to the political structures that had been in place for over 100 years. Now, the debts from the um, French supporting the American Revolution contributed to that French Revolution, but they were not the cause of the revolution. Um, the real cause of the revolution, and by the way, there's still enormous debates today, but um, it's generally agreed that it was about the underlying problems of the social and fiscal structures of the French state, not because of the debts that they incurred during the French Revolution, uh, sorry, during the American Revolution. Well, that series of wars started out with uh, the French Revolution, the Revolutionary Wars, and the Napoleonic Wars finally ended in 1815, and France and Spain came out vastly weakened. They were, as empires and as nations, mere shells of their former selves. Britain and Britannia not only ruled the waves, they ruled the globe. They were the dominant world power for a century, and they were uncontested. From 1815 until a, a century later, 1914, there were no major wars fought across the world. There were minor skirmishes, but Britain was um, the single great hegemonic power. Spain lost its empire in Latin America. Um, in fact, by the, uh, by the 1820s, um, the United States uh, turned into the main power in the Western Hemisphere, but it was grappling with its legacy at that point. And do you think the French and Spanish effort sheds light on the fact that the Revolutionary War was a regional conflict between very powerful nations rather than an isolated revolution in America? And what do you think the overall legacy of the French and Spanish effort in the Revolutionary War is? What I hope my readers and your listeners take away from my book and this interview is that the creation myth that, that America bootstrapped itself from colony to nation, that it fought the war and gained independence against the greatest power um, in Europe and arguably the globe, and did so all by itself, was never correct, and it was never a good fit. France and Spain had supported the War of American Independence from before it started, and they supported it right through the end, and America could never have won the war without them at its side. So... The real story of the American nation is that we were born as the centerpiece of an international coalition, and we all worked together to defeat a common adversary. And that's what is this, and that's the story of the United States. What makes the United States exceptional is when it returns to those roots and leads a coalition of nations in pursuit of a common good. And when we do that, we become the indispensable nation. 
So we just had that interview with Dr. Uh, Larry Ferraro. I hope you kind of enjoyed that. I think it highlights, again, uh, specifically in his book and in this interview, highlights the fact that the French and Spanish roles in the American Revolutionary War are critical to the revolution. And I think part of the problem is that I think in American history, we've created this perception and this mythos behind the revolution that it was kind of this singular heroic effort again, but it necessarily wasn't. So, you know, especially to understand in the wider context of the war is the fact that it wasn't necessarily a limited war or a limited revolution in the 13 colonies, where in reality it was a global conflict being fought kind of across the globe between very powerful European nations. And it's important to acknowledge this because I think the way that we teach it is sort of ambiguous to the fact that the revolution was you know, a byproduct of, again, a much wider conflict between the French and the Spanish. And it's important because if we continue to retell history in a specific way, particularly the American Revolution, I think it does a disservice to the fact that France and Spain played an enormous role. The fact that they were able to change, in my view, the dynamics of the war, specifically with the French and Spanish navies uh, for, you know, the first few years of the revolution, uh, the British had dominated the seas and were able to sort of move their troops at will throughout the 13 colonies. But the arrival of the French uh, Navy sort of limits the British in their ability to move their troops. And that allows us to isolate and attack uh, different army, British armies in the 13 colonies. So it's really the arrival of the British Navy, or the French Navy, excuse me, that really changes the war. And another interesting stat that I really found interesting was that 90% of the French or 90% of all arms used by the Continental Army came from Europe um, and specifically from France, Spain, and also any other European country that had a vendetta against the British, which was quite a few, um, for example, the Netherlands. And the fact that it, was, it took a lot of uh, negotiations and Herculean efforts by, you know, merchants and both the uh, British and, or the French and Spanish navies to uh, do this. So, again, a bit of a shorter episode today. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about the September 11th attacks, so more modern history. But I thought this was an interesting opportunity. I definitely wanted to take advantage of this. Um, and again, as always, if you reach this point, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you help us get our ratings up, more people will be able to see it. Uh, feel free to tell your friends or family about this if they're interested in history. And I hope this will give you a better understanding of the uh, American Revolution and the role that France and Spain played in it.